0: Welcome to Season Ticket. This podcast is your passport to sports history with a peek at the present. The hosts, Chris and Don, will share with you their love of sports, highlighting their favorite teams and seasons. While they focus on the past, they'll talk about some current events too, and along the way, they'll probably throw in a few pop culture references. This podcast is presented by PressRoomPass.com. You'll hear more about Press Room Pass and how to connect with the podcast later, but right now, let's start the show.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Cornett, and I'm here with Don Tincher. Hello, Don. How are you, sir? And also our production assistant, Michael Schweiger. Michael, how are you doing today? Hey,
0: guys. It's awesome day. And
1: welcome to Season 1 of our Season Ticket Podcast. This is Episode 1, and I thought what we would do, Don, is since this is the 150th anniversary of the Cincinnati Reds, take a look at the uh, championship teams of the Reds the next several podcasts. We're going to start with the 1919 World Series as most of you know out there, was the Black Sox Scandal World Series. I'll go into a little bit about the White Sox uh, team of uh, 1919, Don, then you can kind of get into the Reds, which is our main focus. Of course, the White Sox had a very good team back in those days. They had actually won the World Series in 1917. And in 1919, they were a little dissatisfied with owner Charles Comiskey Uh, He was kind of a tight wad to be uh, nice about it. That's being nice, probably. I think it is, too. And some of the players felt they were not getting compensated fairly. So they got involved with some gamblers and decided to throw the 1919 World Series. And I'm going to mention some of the players that were involved in that. For those of you who have seen the movie Eight Men Out, some of this will ring a bell. For, for those of you that may not know uh, all the players involved, I'll go down here. First of all, the ringleader of the players was Chick Gandall, Arnold Chick Gandle, who was the first baseman, and he was kind of the leader of the group that got everybody involved. One of the main involvement players, too, was Eddie Seacott, who was the pitcher, and he was a very good pitcher that year. He was involved in the fix. Also, Oscar Happy Flash, who played center field. Shoeless Joe Jackson, which most of you know, was involved and actually received a payment of $5,000, but he was kind of brought into it, led into it, didn't really have a mind of his own on it, always tried to clear his name, but to no avail. Also, utility infielder Fred McMullen, Charles Swede Risberg, who was the shortstop, was involved. George Buck Weaver, who was the third baseman, actually was in on the initial meeting but never took any money and actually batted three twenty four for the series. So he always claimed his innocence. That look, even though he knew about it, uh, he never threw any games or or played bad in any game. Right. And he
2: was kind of the sympathetic figure, along with Joe Jackson in Eight Men Out.
1: Exactly. They were portrayed as probably questionable. Why? But Landis, who was the very first baseball commissioner, and he's the one that after the trial, and of course they were acquitted. Nobody was ever found guilty right, of any crime. Right. But Landis decided that, look, even if you didn't throw a game or, or willingly throw a game, if you were involved, heard about it, didn't report it to the team, even gambled on it, even though you weren't even involved on the team, as I think a man, Don, by the name of Joe Gideon, yes, uh, who that applies to him. Right. And uh, yeah, we
2: talked about him being involved betting and then also wanting the reward as well, trying to turn him in. So and he, he was,
1: was trying to get his cake and eat yeah, it too, and yeah, it, didn't, yeah. it didn't turn
2: out too well for yeah.
1: him. But Landis, it doesn't matter. If you just knew about it, played in it, bet on it, you were going to be banned from baseball for life. And the other one important player was Claude Lefty Williams, a pitcher, who was terrible. He went 0-3 in the series and had a 6.63 ERA. Those were the players involved. Back then, the World Series was the best of nine. The way everybody figured out, or the way the gamblers knew what the fix was in is that Seacott, who was the pitcher for game one, he was to hit the first batter, and if he did that, And the gamblers and everybody knew that the fix was in. That's the seedy side of the 1919 World Series. Now, we're going to talk about the other side, which is why we're here, the Cincinnati Reds. Of 1919, and Don, why don't you give us a little bit of background about the Reds that year and the team itself and uh, some of the players involved?
2: The thing about the Reds is the fact that they were the winners of the 1919 World Series. That that gets overshadowed by the stuff that has been published since. There's you know obviously books and then the movie Eight Men Out and, and stuff. I guess that just kind of creates a, a situation where people really think. And the White Sox were a good team. Yeah. Don't 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 deny that, but. I think sometimes it's something that's forgotten is that the Reds might have been the better team of the yeah, two. Yeah, if they if they had played that game on the level, there's a good chance the Reds could have won that series anyway. Right. It's, it's one of those things that it's obviously 100 years ago, so there's really not a way to figure that out. One of my favorite books that I kind of carry around at different points in time is called The Red Leg Journal. It's by Greg Rhodes and John Snyder uh probably published maybe 20 years ago, maybe okay. around around that time. They have a section in there where they discuss the 1919 Reds, and if you look at the section, they say that the Reds have five positions better than the White Sox. Really? Uh, yeah, and also the White Sox have an edge in three of those positions, which leaves one, obviously, and that would be the catcher position. They kind of call that one an even. uh Even though the White Sox had a Hall of Fame catcher, Uh, Ray Shaw, I feel like I would give the edge to the White Sox there in that situation, but still then that means that the Reds win five of the four positions. Okay. Including the pitching. You know, because. The
1: two best pitchers, I think, for the White
2: Sox, Seacott and and, uh, and Lefty Williams Williams, were the
1: two best pitchers on the White Sox. So to have them involved in the fix was probably a very good reason why the the Reds might have been overlooked in saying that there was no chance they had to win. But I agree with you that I think the Reds had a very good chance to win that series. Right. Long. Well
2: and, and you look at the pitching thing, there's a lot of similarities, I guess, in the sense later on when we talk about the big red machine at how many pitchers had different things. There were six pitchers on the Cincinnati Reds staff that had ten wins or more. Right. You get to that point. That means that there's a lot of guys that can do a lot of things. They had a 21 game winner in S- Slim Salee, yeah. Two guys that won 19, Hod Eller and, and Dutch Ruther, both won 19. So, you know, it wasn't like they didn't have, have some guys that exactly. could, could perform. And then, of course, uh, there's a Hall of Famer on the Reds at that time, the center fielder, Ed Rausch, who won the league batting title that year with a 321 average. Okay. And obviously he's a very talented player you know it's one of those things that as somebody that has been writing and things about baseball over the years the 1919 reds i, I feel like get overlooked sometimes oh, i i absolutely agree because of that. the myth i guess yes. for lack of a well, better phrase
1: and, and, and the fact that the white Sox also had what they consider was one of the best teams in the history of baseball according to some writers but i'll tell you what don why don't we take a break right here and uh, when we come back we'll talk a little more about some of those reds players also uh, a little bit more about the series in general So I want to thank everybody again for listening to our season ticket podcast presented by PressroomPass.com. We'll be back in just a minute.
0: We'll hear more about Cincinnati Reds history in a few minutes and maybe find out if they could have won the 1919 championship in a state contest. We wanted to take a quick break to let you know about the PressroomPass.com website. Our co-host, Don Tincher presents great articles there relevant to the season on an almost daily basis. He has a whole series on Red's history in tribute to their 150th anniversary. You should head over there later and read a few. While you're there, be sure to check out the sponsors and stick around after the show for more details about getting in touch with podcasters. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to
1: Season Ticket Podcast, presented by PressroomPass.com. For the break, we were talking
0: about... For the break, part- you guys were talking about how good the Reds were. And as you mentioned, one of the things that has gotten overlooked in the 1919 World Series is the quality of players that were on the Reds' team. You said earlier the Reds might have won if it was played straight up. And it's possible. And listening to you guys talk, there are some really extraordinary players on that 1919 World Series team.
1: Well, I think Ed Roush is somebody that the casual baseball fan has probably heard of, I'm assuming, if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan. Right, and, uh, and I mean, with
2: him being a, a Hall of Famer. Now, there are several guys that are in the Reds Hall of Fame. Uh, what Heine, you name Heine that, yeah. Groh is the okay. guy that comes to mind. He's the third baseman. To go back to our book, The Red Leg Journal, you know, Heine Groh gets the edge over buck weaver now oh, okay. you know and, thing and is, buck is,
1: weaver was a, a pretty good player right he
2: he was a, a pretty good player but you know heine grow also uh batted is that really 3-10. his name is yeah, that really his name, yeah, heine? It's, it, well it's, I it's, mean, are we serious about that it, is that you his know, name? if you look up on baseball reference it does say <laughs> that's not a heine nickname. heine grow <laughs> that's um, not a nickname you maybe? know no that is that is not a nickname and but like he uh, had a big Heine or something like uh, yeah, that. I mean, yeah, but like he that. he batted three ten, so he was a very productive player and a quality player for years with the Reds. How are you spelling that Heine, Don? Tell me. Oh my goodness, H E I N I E. Okay, okay. okay. Right. Double not like you know. I'm just something else. Just making but, sure uh, we're on the level. here. Well, you know, we're we're, we're, we're good.
0: Was he from Cincinnati? Does he no, a German no, background.
2: But, uh, no, actually, he was he was from New York. And so maybe he, so he actually came to the Reds from the New York Giants, probably six years before this nineteen nineteen season. So, okay. uh, and then actually went back to the Giants uh, later on in his career. So, okay. but you know he played for for sixteen years and was a very valuable member of the Reds and uh, obviously is a member of the Reds Hall of Fame. So, okay. the pitching staff kind of gets overlooked sometimes because. Seacott and Williams were so great they were yeah and so you know they kind of think
1: obviously we're never gonna know if the Reds and the White Sox had played straight up who would have won that series we're just not gonna know no so I think where the historians say that the Reds had no chances because you look at the players that were involved in the scandal the importance that they were to the team especially the two pitchers Seacott was almost unhittable same with Lefty Williams, and if they're involved, whatever, however many games they pitched in that series, just chalk them up as losses. I mean, you got no chance, no matter what the offense is doing. Right. Okay. And the Reds were good enough that when Seacott and Williams were, you know, pitching those softballs up to them, they're obviously the Reds as good of hitters as they were are going to do damage. Yeah. Uh, to that, and which is why they scored all those runs. So it's unfortunate that that happened. But, you know, a lot of that – there was a, a lot of that kind of stuff going on, to be quite honest with you, because uh, owners were tight wads. They didn't want to pay the players, and the players didn't have the – obviously there was no free agency or any of that stuff back in those days. It doesn't surprise me uh, at all that that kind of thing came on. It's just too well, bad that it happened with, obviously, the Cincinnati Reds being good. Right, yes, Michael. Right. And now, you,
0: you've said this a couple of times though. that it's speculation. There's no way to know. But you guys are dyed-in-the-wool Reds fans. That's correct. So what do you really think? I mean, what do you think?
1: I think the White Sox win it. It might take taken nine games. I mean, it might have gone. I'm not saying it would have been a sweep or anything, but I think the White Sox were just too strong in the is it, pitching. Are they know close is, games? I know it, huh?
0: Are they close games?
1: Uh, Yes. I think they're close games. But I just think in the end, the the White Sox. I don't know, Don, if you agree with me. Well, I, you, I picked the White Okay, here we go. White Sox in eight.
2: And, and I, oh, I could, agree and and I'm I'm a diehard believer, I suppose, so that Wait, I wasn't I that how it turned the, out eventually. St- anyway? Stay with the Reds. No, actually, it turned out with the Reds in eight. <laughs> yeah, I, I think part of me yeah, is, is is looking at okay, so and uh, Williams win two games. Yes, and so no, Williams didn't win a game. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying in the make believe. Oh, okay, okay. In the make believe, that would be four wins. Yes, I get. Yes, and so. That's the issue. Yes. It can can one of those two guys come back and win a third? Yes. I don't know. That's well, that's, that's something that winning three games in the World Series doesn't happen very often. No, I agree with and, that. And that's even correct. and even in another sense, losing three games in the World Series doesn't happen very often either. No. Just pitching that way, to where you're going to start those games, that's you know not going to happen. So, I've been uh, you know a diehard, so I, I probably would. Well, would, if you see pick the, the Reds out of that, yeah.
1: If you see the movie, and I'm not sure to be honest with you, Don, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the movie they portrayed that White Sox players after Game Seven decided that they weren't getting uh, their full amount of money, decided they were going to play, right. And then you see the guy going up and threatening uh, Lefty Williams, right, and it says you're going to lose tomorrow. Now, yeah, if you look at the box score to that game, this is Game Eight at Comiskey. Reds win 10-5 to win the series. The first inning, Cincinnati scores four runs, and in the second inning, they score a run. So it's already five-zip right. before things can go on. So, you know, again, and you look at the rest of the score line, Reds score one run in the fifth and three in the sixth, one in the eighth. Now, I think Lefty Williams was taken out pretty early in that game, at least according to the movie, he was taken out after the first or second inning. I'm not sure uh, exactly. But, again, if he's pitching on the level, right. uh, I I think he wins that game. And then, I don't know, is Seacott pitching in game nine? He might be. I don't know if he – yeah. No, no, he pitched game no, seven. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, he there, pitched game seven.
2: And, and actually, Lefty Williams got one out. That Okay, so he and, got one And out. So, so I suppose that's accurate in the okay. movie. Yeah, um, and if
1: you recall in the movie also, Seacott pitched on the level in game seven – the White Sox won that game.
2: Yes, they they would win that game four to one. Yes, Seacott went the distance and you know just allowed the run. Yes, uh, you know and and they ended up beating uh, Slim Salee. That's exactly uh, right. Yes, and the twenty one game winner for for the Reds.
1: So in, in kind of a little bit of summation here, you know we can have a whole podcast on whether if the game was on the level of the Reds would have beat the White Sox, but to the Reds' credit, they had a Hall of Famer. It was it one Hall of Famer and Ed Roush? Yes. They had several of the good players, especially pitchers. There is a, a good chance they could have, be, if not won the series on the level, given the White Sox a good a good series, right. uh, even without. Now
2: the White Sox ended up with a pair of Hall of Famers out of that Ray Schalk, the catcher, and then Eddie Collins, the yes. second baseman, who was was a great yes. player and obviously not involved in anything. Yes, uh, on the downside of what the White Sox had done. So
1: exactly, and also I think the movie portrays Sherless Joe as. Playing like semi-pro ball, if you recall the, the last scene of that movie, Buck Weaver sitting in the stands, and a couple of guys are asking, didn't that look like Shoeless Joe Jackson, even though his name was different? Right. He had changed his name. Uh, Buck Weaver said, "No, that's not him." Even though it was, but I understand there were other players that were also banned from the White Sox that actually played some semi-pro ball as
2: well. And, and that could very well be. Yeah. I, the The movie probably is, is like any Hollywood production is is embellished, yes. to to a degree on on a lot of different things where they take some liberties uh, with a book that's In been written entrance, and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: they, they always do that. You and, know, the the basically. basic
2: story is true. They they were, you know, banned from baseball for betting on it, and that's the way it's remembered.
1: Well, there you go. So in a little bit of a nutshell, in the 1919 World Series, the Cincinnati Reds win their first World Series in eight games. Uh, Again, the World Series back then was played uh, best of nine. In the infamous Black Sox World Series, the Cincinnati Reds uh, beat the White Sox in eight games to win their first title. In our next podcast, we're going to continue the World Series theme and talk about the uh, 1940 Cincinnati Reds World Series with some background about the 39 series yes, as well. Yeah yes. That they were also in Don. So we hope everybody uh, enjoyed this podcast and uh, listens to our next one. I want to thank everyone for listening to our first episode of Season 1 on our Season Ticket Podcast. Please visit our website at pressroomcast.com. Also, like our Facebook page. Until next time, we'll
0: see you then. Thanks for listening to Season 1, Episode 1 of the Season Ticket Podcast, presented by PressRoomPass.com. Come back for the rest of the opening series, focusing on the Cincinnati Reds in celebration of their 150th anniversary. Chris and Don are really looking forward to sharing their love of the Reds and sports in general, past and present, with you. Earlier, I mentioned you could find out how to connect with the podcast after the show. We'll start by visiting the PressRoomPass.com website. Chris also mentioned our Facebook page during the show, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Or you can find us by searching "Season Ticket," presented by PressroomCast, on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You'll find us on your favorite podcast app or site soon. We'll update the show notes as we expand our reach. For starters, you can find episodes on our Facebook page and at PressroomCast.com. Again, thanks for listening. Be sure to tell your friends. Another podcast in the series will be released soon. Until then, keep your eye on the ball.
2: see you then hey no, we're but gonna make sure me. you say uh, visit our website pressroompass.com okay let me do that
1: because- tell me you're right okay we're rolling okay uh okay here we go so want listen, everybody i want to listen i'm gonna kill you michael i'm gonna kill you okay here we go <laughs> you're Hang killing on. me smalls I'm, t- I'm taking a breath oh god i'm gonna do that again <laughs> Why can't I get He's right. It's the hardest part. Right. Are we recording?